This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. everybody welcome to the great american scream my name's devin wright my name's adam o'connell thanks for your patience this week gang i know you're hearing this on thursday friday thursday, friday those days. is it next week we don't know <laughs> hey i wanted to start the podcast just in a regular normal cool guy way that with okay. by a person who doesn't do intro bits anymore i'm the i'm serious devin now uh, oh thanks for hanging out uh i'm so glad to be back and I want to make a little bit of extra bonus content at some point this week to make it up to you. So thanks. Thanks, Evan. And everything's we're, we're all good. It's all good. Everything's it's okay. all good. I yeah. was a bellboy balancing 18 suitcases and going, whoa, whoa, <laughs> in like a Home Alone film. But now they're uh-huh. all stacked and on one of those things that you, that you ride. One of, the, one of the carts. Yeah. The forbidden, the, the forbidden, uh, forbidden walkway, forbidden attraction. Maybe for the you. luggage carts to the hotel. <laughs> um, so I guess, I guess we're cracking right into it. I guess we're let's crack we're right getting, in. We're Who getting we right on it. About what friend do we have in the audience in the studio today? Oh God! Well, oh geez! Oh God! Who is that? Oh God! What is that? Oh God! I just looked to the third chair in our studio. Oh God! I don't like it. Oh God! Um, well, you know this. Episode topic actually started off as a different episode topic because I, who I wanted to talk about in general was Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, okay, kind who of we a have, biographical, kind of a James well, Whale, I mean, but specifically about Ed sort and of, Lorraine Warren. Sort of, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to talk about, I mean, we've talked about them on the show before, but I really wanted to dive in because they are, you know, the most prolific paranormal investigators in the United States. Um, and I wanted to talk about them and all of their work. And then I realized that there's a, to talk about all of their work in one episode would be not going to happen. So I ended up zoning in on one case today, uh, to talk about, and I would like to touch upon their cases, touch upon. I would like to touch upon their cases a little bit more. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit more in the future. Um, and we have like discussed some of their cases very briefly in the past, but these two have lived a wild life and a lot of these cases have a lot more than what you might know about them. So I would like to talk about it. I love the idea that we as a podcast are approaching our comfort of niche that we can basically set up in this episode 86 that at yeah. some point in the near or mid future, we're going to have a mini series about Sub-series. the lives of Ed and Lorraine Warren and like pretty much we're like hey there's about 50 people who are so ready for that and let's do it well i figure i'd start with probably what is most recognizable of all of their cases because uh, they worked on a lot their their work inspired films like the amityville horror and the conjuring franchise and what we're going to talk about today the annabelle films yeah. because they were the investigators on the very real annabelle case um and we're not here to debate whether or not they were actual mediums or psychics. If Annabelle is really a demon, blah, blah, blah. That's not what we're here to talk about. Fact of the matter is, whether they were nonsense or not, their work had a really big effect on pop culture. Yeah. So that's what we're here to talk they about. They made an anthropological impact regardless of their scientific impact. 
Exactly. We're not. This is not an Ed and Lorraine Warren call out episode. Like we're just here to talk about their that's work. That's episode two of the. Yeah. That's like the episode one prime that's on our second channel. It's yeah. So I would like to start by giving a little bit of history on Ed and Lorraine Warren themselves uh, to give a little bit of context to the case and why they may have handled the case in the way they did. Um, so. Uh, and also because when this research started, when it was an Ed and Lorraine Warren episode, so I'm not just going to toss all this research in the garbage yeah, just can. Don't put that in the trash. Yeah. So Edward Warren Minnie or Miney, I'm not 100 percent sure. M I N E Y uh, was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, in 1926, uh, and then less than a year later, Lorraine Rita Moran was born in the same city. Uh, they met at age 16 while Ed was working at, as an usher at the theater that Lorraine, her mother, frequented, and they began dating pretty shortly after. Uh, but Ed was deployed in the Navy at age 17, ah, a year later. Um, but his ship was sunk in the Atlantic four months later. He what? was okay. Oh. <laughs> he was fine. <laughs> Some roller coaster of emotions out of Oh, my God. Yeah. So he came home in 1945 on uh, what's like known as survivor's leave when like your ship right, sinks. Right, right, leave, but you so made it specifically, yeah. Yeah, so they were married in 1945, and in 1951, they had their only child, Judy Warren, who is still alive. Judy Warren, uh, great name. Yeah, Judy Warren is a good name. Judy in general, good name. My good Judy, that's why the gays use it, my good Judy. Yeah, yeah, it's the only reason. <laughs> Uh, they were also, uh, Ed was a very devout Roman Catholic, which is interesting when you think about their everything. Well, um, you know, it, it is in our modern context, but if we talk about the recent episode of spirituality in the U S in a time like mm -hmm. the 1940s and 1950s, not as much. Yeah, exactly. This is like right um, around and, second Vatican, that like big deal kind of, uh, socially liberalizing a tiny little bit of the roman catholic mm -hmm. church that's when they decided that jews were not all to blame for christ's death that's when they mm -hmm. uh, decided vernacular mass i'm pretty sure where you could actually do mass in english like if you're a roman catholic going to church and hearing latin every sunday you're gonna believe in ghosts is what i'm saying like that's a that's uh, okay a but yeah line. that's fair because <laughs> ed's you know ed's faith did very much determine the way that he worked yeah. and it influenced what he believed in. Uh, and like, I think if they, if they weren't so Catholic, they probably wouldn't be as into ghosts and demons as they were. Right. I think that in a, in a real genuine way, the, when we talked about American spirituality, there's an aspect of like American Catholicism, especially through the early 20th century that linked up to the spirituality of American culture and created this fusion because guys, Roman Catholic mass, especially pre vernacular like in latin is the most ritualistic modern yeah. religious practice like i think in yeah. a cool way aesthetically at least uh <laughs> yeah but like of course you're gonna be like this doll be this doll haunted yeah i mean demons are very re in traditional catholicism right. demons spirits possession is very real yes um some more modern Catholicism might try to at least not talk about it so much, yeah, but not very much how the Roman Catholic Church is built upon the uh, assimilation of pagan traditions. Yeah, but very much part of the belief system. So after they got married, Ed returned to the Navy. Uh, and then when he upon returning home from that, uh, he studied at Yale's uh, subsidiary art school, Perry Art School. He was a painter. Oh, I, li I like I this didn't guy. know that. 
Yeah. So before they began their work uh, as paranormal investigators, they would travel through New England and they would try and sell Ed's paintings. They did not have a lot of success doing this. Have we gotten um, a film about these two people? Yes, it's called The Conjuring. <laughs> well, no. I, yeah, I hate you. No. We've gotten several, I would argue. A historical, a historical drama slash romance biopic no. a la The Imitation Game. No, I would like that. That's what I want. We have not gotten that. I want high, what is it called? Uh, I want a prestige drama about these two. Oh, like the favorite, sort of. Like the favorite, sort of, (laughs) I think is exactly the phrase I would use to describe it. Yeah. Great. Um, So as they would travel, they would often stop at haunted locations along the way, which became some points of inspiration for some of Ed's paintings. Along Um, with his his Catholicism. That's where that comes from. Yeah, I mean... And that's why if you look at some of Ed's paintings, which if you Google Ed let's, Warren paintings, they come up. Let's pause uh, they're, Ed they're, Warren paintings. They're pretty cool. They're creepy. I, I personally, I wonder who has them because I would love to own one. Oh, I like these a lot. Yeah, I want one. I'm picking up painting at the moment. Just a little fun fact about my life and where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which apparently <laughs> is not good because I'm picking up painting. Uh, <laughs> these are really cool. Yeah, I think they look really cool. I would like one. I don't know if they're for sale. But All right, Adam, I'll get you one. <laughs> Yay. Um, Happy birthday. And uh, this, this also began to spark his interest in demonology and all of his not? work. All of his work as a demonologist was t- totally self-taught, um, which I, I say that like it's surprising <laughs> that <laughs> he didn't go to demonology school. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's rather frustrating that the only place you can acquire the demonology uh, accreditation is as a second major when you're doing yeah. something and it's only at you know the priest school gotta be yeah. a priest to be a demonologist says the catholic church and i think that's gatekeeping yeah i agree um and fun fact about lorraine warren when she first met ed she was a total skeptic yes uh and yes. until she discovered that she was a medium of course she did uh, hell yeah she- this is the best drama i've ever heard The idea of an imitation game-esque prestige drama film that Mm -hmm. then in like forces you to during this Oscar-worthy movie have a magic system that is in the fiction of the thing. Yeah, so good. Oh, that's so good. The inherent Um, fantasy setting of early twentieth-century America. Yeah. And so she was a self-reported clairvoyant and a trance medium. Uh, and she said that she started to feel a par- paranormal connection to the haunted locations that they started to visit. Uh, and she would feel as if she could see what had happened there just by visiting, which we see in The Conjuring when she goes to the house. And she's like, oh, I touches the ground. It's like, what happened here? You yeah, know? that stuff. That, what's that quote? Yeah. They touch the ground. You go, oh, bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Happened here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, or NESPER, uh, which still exists today and is now the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. They previously controlled the Warrens Occult Museum in Connecticut, which I believe is closed right now. Uh, <laughs> it was closed uh, because it was closed has COVID because of not a zone. <laughs> no, it wasn't even that. It was closed because of a zoning issue. Oh, my God. It's an administrative district issue that has yeah. been brought up at the council meeting, and the council only meets every third week because they don't get paid yeah. and it's not their first job. Yeah. Um, 
But so it makes me wonder, like, there's always that that rumor going around that every happens every couple of years that Annabelle has escaped and disappeared from the Warren Occult Museum. Kind of like she hasn't. She's fine. Yeah. But I yeah. But I do wonder where she is if she's not if she's in the the D zone, not in the D zone building. I wish that that was the plot of where in the world is Carmen Sandiego is that what they discover is she's always just kind of at home chilling and they keep looking around. Around the world for her. Um, so throughout their career, uh, they would author many books about their investigations, and they claim to in- have investigated over 100 cases during their career, which is a lot. Um, I think in an earlier episode, we said they had investigated 10,000 cases, which is, to be clear, is what it says on Wikipedia. But Nesper's website many. says 100, but 10,000 is simply too many. <laughs> the fact that the website says 100 and then... yeah. Like some, some somebody whoever edited their Wikipedia page. I love that. I think that a hundred yeah. cases is not that many. Boldly for for their career, because you figure how long was their career? A few decades. Let's give them. Yeah. Do we want to give them fifty years? Uh, probably not that long because they okay. were pre-searching probably like if we if we mark Nesper as the start of their career, they were probably investigating from the 50s through like the 80s. So let's say 30, maybe 40 yeah. years at the most. Yeah. If we do 40, the math is easier because then that's two and a half per year that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how detective works, how they do that in the, in the uh-huh. big bad police station. I don't know how the detective does his work. But uh-huh. do you think he's solving two and a half crimes per year? A cr- crime is very different from, <laughs> from what is a paranormal case. case than a, what is a paranormal case if not just kind of ghost crime? Is what I'm saying. Uh, I guess that that implies that ghosts have a, a law system. Well, they do. Uh, I'm kind of <laughs> offended that you wouldn't have kind of been on the same page with me about talking okay. about ghost law. You know that yeah. when I went to priest school, which is the Roman Catholic, they make you go to priest school. I didn't study demonology. That was kind of more a Warren, Mr. Warren's thing. But I studied, I studied ghost law. That's what I studied at priest school. <laughs> Not <Great>. preschool. <laughs> priest, priest school. school. It's Got very it. different. Uh, so Ed passed away on August 23rd, the science 2006. Education is exactly the same level. And... Yeah, and, and Lorraine passed away on April 18th, 2019, pretty no. recently. Uh, Nesper is currently run by the Warrens' daughter, Judy, and her husband, Tom. Uh, we'll talk about them later. Uh, Are they... For now... They're still, like, bopping around? They're still bopping. They're still... Yeah. They're, they're still, still be doing this ghost thing? You'd figure that they're if you're still the children hash. of ghost hunters, that you would make a kind of museum about ghost hunting, but you would not continue the ghost hunt. Uh, I mean, they are the current heads of Nesper. So mm. they, if Judy Warren very much believes in everything that her parents did. And so and her husband, I believe, was involved. He may say no, that. Her. He may say that one thousand times. But I'm saying if they're still Roman Catholic, he's saying something different at confession. Her husband, I believe, was involved in paranormal investigation before he even met her. That. So you're saying he's, he, he might have married for for fame. Adam, for clout? I'm not letting this man off the hook. I, I don't <laughs> trust him. I don't know his name, but I don't trust him. I, it's either Tom or Tony. I know his Judy, last name is Sparrow, and I can't remember what the first name is. Okay, so let's talk about Annabelle, which is probably Being named Tony tied is a red flag. With... I'm going to stop you right there. Being named Tony is a red flag. <laughs> I can't. Now I need to look I'm it Italian up if it's Tom or Tony. I know. No, it's not Tom. Maybe it is Tony. 
It is Tony. Tony Sparrow. No, get out of there. Get out of there, Judy. The call's coming from inside nice. the house, Judy. He looks nice. Um. Anyway, so let's talk about Annabelle because I think probably tied with their investigation in Amityville, this is probably their most famous case. It's the one that most people know about. Yes. Most people might not realize the Warrens investigated them, but everybody kind of knows who Annabelle is because yeah. of the Nobody movie. knows that Annabelle is a real doll is what I'm going to tell you from my red-blooded mainstream American brain. Yeah. Nobody knows that yeah, yeah, Annabelle's yeah. a real doll that exists. Right. Um. So let's talk about the background of the case. Uh, picture it. Hartford, Connecticut, 1970s. Probably very similar to how Hartford, Connecticut is right now. I don't but, think Hartford's had a, a big cultural zeitgeist between <laughs> 1970 and now. Yeah, I would say over under uh, Hartford is exactly the same. Like, yeah, I think the biggest change you'll probably see is they might have added a lane to 84. Yeah. But that's about it. It's like that that Chris Fleming quote where he says, um, Boston is a neo-puritanical society. Oh, what's the neo? Matchbox 20. Matchbox 20. That's the neo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, Hartford, 1970, a mother purchases an antique raggedy, raggedy Ann doll from a hobby store to give to her daughter, Donna, a nursing student, as a birthday present. Uh, I have a problem with the phrase antique Raggedy Ann doll. I raggedy Ann's been around for a while. Raggedy Ann is not is vintage is not an i mean antique. i require antiques the first to be patinaed or or fragile <laughs> in some kind of porcelain porcelain way the, the raggedy ann the patent was uh was received in 1915 so oh no i she's old don't get me yeah. wrong i just don't like the phrase antique that makes me think i can break it Okay, I see, I see, I see. So she gave the daughter to... Yeah. (laughs) She gave the doll to her daughter, Donna, which that sentence was a mouthful. Uh, Donna's a nursing student uh, who brought the doll into her apartment, which she shared with her roommate, Angie. So remember Donna and Angie. Donna and Angie. Within a few days, they began to notice some strange and creepy occurrences with the doll. Uh, The doll appeared to mysteriously move around the house. Uh... Tiny kind of small movements at first, like it would change positions. But as time passed, the movement became more noticeable. Uh, Donna and Angie would come home to find the doll in a completely different room sometimes. Uh, sometimes the doll would be found with its legs crossed, arms folded, which like it's very angry. And then other times it would be found upright standing on its feet. I don't like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't. So. so- Again, I think that this is important that we go into what a Raggedy Ann doll looks like. If it go was ahead, a porcelain doll, right? If it had some mm-hmm. kind of like hard body. Ezra, Structure. Ezra has small clown children who we love. Yeah. And they have porcelain heads and they have slightly hard hands and feet. Some of them are porcelain, I think. But Raggedy Ann is a is a cloth being. Yes. She's just cloth and yarn. No structure. No structure, and this lady is standing up on her own. I don't like it. That's, That's scary, the job yeah. for my eight-inch Gogeta posable figure from Dragon Ball Z Broly. That's the job of <laughs> That's that. That's horror. That's horror, baby. That's horror. <laughs> horror is waking up and seeing Raggedy Ann standing like Gogeta from Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. So... Uh, several times Donna would leave the doll on the couch before she would go to work and then she would return to find the doll back in her room on the bed with the door closed. Um, which, you know, could be a a sick roommate prank, but also could be a haunted doll. 
Could be Haunted Doll. Could be Elf on the Shelf. Yeah. Could, could be, be MTV's Frank. ridiculousness. Could be Rob <laughs> Deerdeck's r- ridiculousness is here to play. Yeah. yeah. Um, so about a month into their experiences, Donna and Angie began to find messages on parchment paper that read, help us and help Lou, with handwriting as if uh, written by a small child. Now, Lou is a friend of theirs who will come into the story later. Okay. Um, so this, they is did for- not- this is literary foreshadowing. Yes, they did not keep parchment in their house, which is interesting. <laughs> like, I, okay, I find so that less talk- creepy as just logistically confusing. <laughs> that yeah, that's not a that's not a necessary sentiment for the scariness of the story. Yeah. It is almost completely unnecessary from a dramatic sense. If we're yeah. looking at it as two uh, creators of dramatic structures, <laughs> yeah. But it is one of the most important notes that I've found from this story. How did this baby okay. doll get the parchment? Get parchment. Exactly. I mean, uh, like, again, it's <laughs> like if you don't give me that detail, I'm going to assume you're a ghost. Your your parents like. That doesn't make me go, ooh, spooky. It makes me go, huh, huh that's weird. That's odd. <laughs> because what you've said Um, is raggedy ann either went to the staples and got parchment yeah but like you know the parchment you know the parchment they sell at staples well what i was about to say is it's (laughs) it's paper but it has parchment patterning on it which would be very funny for raggedy ann to think that that is parchment the other thing is that now you've introduced into the mythos not only is this a ghost doll that is living and able to move but apparently she is able to conjure papyrus like (laughs) (laughs) Or she made it. Or she made the papyrus. But for how? Why? How? With what? With what reads? What? With what does she? What a bit? What extra ability does she have that is gifted to her by her ability to apparently attain parchment? Um, I couldn't tell you. Does That's why it's a mystery. Like, does she have like canokinesis? Like she can move sugar cane only? <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. That's why the Warrens are the experts and we're not. I'm worried um, that their okay. expertise can't answer this question. <laughs> so one day Donna finds the doll with what looks like little red blood droplets on it. And they decide blood. now is the time to call in an expert. Okay. Um. So they hired a medium and the medium That's contacted the spirit of the doll and introduce them to the spirit of Annabelle Higgins, which is already uh, a red flag. He's like, that's a made up, that's a made up name. That's a na- made up name, but it's a made up name that you could only come up with if you already had a sick novel name like the Warrens do, you know? Oh, okay. Um, so, and according to this medium, Annabelle was a young girl that was raised in the property before the apartments were built. Uh, and, uh, she, Annabelle referred Did to those as like house? the happy times, uh, I guess. Uh, okay, she was. She could be living in the field before they they put up the. Maybe this is a prehistoric yeah, baby. I didn't have a date on Annabelle. I guess you could see when the first name Annabelle was most popular in in the United in in, in Hartford, Connecticut. Okay, yeah. Let me search Annabelle. Anna, you keep going with the podcast. This is important. Sure. Uh, So she was a young girl of only seven years old when her body was found in the field upon which the apartment complex now stands. So she could have lived in the field, I guess. Um, She could have been a field woman. 
Uh, yeah, so Annabelle a field is, child. Annabelle is from the Hebrew Anna, which is Grace. So from biblical times, but Belle is just <laughs> French. So yeah. um, it it's got to you know how how old would a French name be in <laughs> Connecticut? Not that old. <laughs> yeah. So Annabelle, <laughs> young lady, uh, probably a Zoomer, probably a uh free soil party member in the 1800s so I'm i guess um so the medium said that annabelle felt safe with the girls was not a hostile spirit and well, just nice. wanted to be comforted wanted to hang out with the with the girls that lived there uh however donna and angie's friend lou had a different account now lou was the the name that was on the um the, yeah, the help lou message help lou is the so, thing lou was their friend uh on one occasion while staying at Donna and Angie's apartment, Lou awoke from a deep sleep and in panic. Whoa, uh, he, Lou awoke. Lou awoke like is, Pokemon. yeah. <laughs> he, he was having this recurring nightmare uh, that he was now having at Donna and Angie's place. Only this time, uh, he kind of woke up in sleep paralysis, could not move. Uh, he looked around the room, but couldn't discern anything out of the ordinary. But then he looked down at his feet and he saw Annabelle begin to slowly glide up his leg, Whoa. move over his no, chest no, 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 and no. then stopped. Uh, within seconds, the doll was strangling him, no. paralyzed and gasping for breath. Lou at the point of asphyxiation blacked out. Now that does sound like textbook sleep paralysis, but besides yes. the blacking out part. Well, you know, I've had sleep paralysis. I've never blacked out of the hallucination. Like I have yeah. blacked out after. Hey, Adam, do you have a do you have, is your sleep paralysis even fun or not fun? OK, so you this is going to make me sound crazy. OK, do you want to know what a, my sleep paralysis is. OK, guys, <laughs> genuinely, this is an interesting conversation I want to have with my friend Adam. So if you guys yeah. need to skip 10 minutes ahead, that's fine. It's, it's, I mean, you're going to be interested in this because this is a crazy way to have sleep paralysis. So my sleep paralysis, and I haven't gotten it in a really long time, is I would fall asleep and then I would wake back up in, in sleep paralysis and it started off as like a humming noise and then this like blinding, like white golden light that suddenly like floods the entire room, uh, accompanied by the sound of like flutes in a wind tunnel is the only way i can describe it okay and then that's the end of it and when it first happened what? it really freaked me out but it's the one that happens every time so now i kind of know when it's happening and i just have to kind of <laughs> like sit start through to it. conduct it with your brain <laughs> i just i just have to kind of sit through it um and every time i tell somebody that's what happens to me during sleep paralysis they look at me like i may be a prophet <laughs> no adam i so my sleep paralysis demon is stupid but also kind of fun I have a similar, I am, I wake up, I wake up, quote unquote, and my body isn't moving and I usually can't yeah. breathe, but I'm laying back down on my bed and in the door is an incredibly bright light that, uh, huh. that I can't stand. And then if I try to move, <laughs> this is who my sleep paralysis demon is. And it's so stupid. And if you know me, how stupidly like my nerd brain is to create this. It's a headless statue of Nike holding a golden laurel wreath above her head in, a, huh. in like a thing. And she's trying to kill me. We don't like her. She's terrifying. Okay. Huh. Uh, and the Interesting dream, that yours also involves a light. Yeah. And, uh, and some kind of a divine force of either yeah, flutes in a wind tunnel or a statue of Nike. Those are, those are equivalent in my mind of forces of divine will. 
All right, um, we hope you enjoyed that brief intermission. Yeah, that was only uh, like two minutes. Tweet us your which, sleep paralysis. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, for a discussion anyway. of dreams is yeah. so short. So, on another occasion, okay, uh, they uh, Lou, Angie, and Donna were going to go on a road trip together, which I want to hang with these people. It seemed like fun. I don't uh, they were planning think for I a road trip. Hanging with Lou, I don't like somebody telling me their sleep paralysis demon is a Raggedy Ann doll. No, no. Okay. Red flag. So this is this is the interesting, and this is what got the Warrens involved. So oh, Lou no. and Angie were reading over maps alone in the apartment, uh, and the apartment was very quiet. They're the only people in there. Suddenly, rustling sounds started to come from Donna's room, uh. Uh, and they she thought somebody, uh, Angie thought someone had broken into the apartment. So Lou uh, snuck over to the bedroom door, and he waited for the noises to stop before he entered, and he turned on the light, and the room was empty, except for Annabelle, who was tossed on the floor in the corner. So Lou looked around, make sure, like, nobody had, like, forced entry or anything, but everything else was normal in the room. But as he got close to the doll, he felt like somebody was behind him, and he spun, spun around, realized nobody was there, and then he, like, started grabbing uh his chest and kind of like doubled over and he had these cuts on his chest and he was bleeding uh his shirt was stained with blood and upon opening his shirt uh there on his chest was what looked to be seven distinct claw marks three vertically and four horizontally uh all were uh hot like they were burns uh and the scratches healed almost immediately half gone the next day fully gone by two hmm I think that mm. demons screw with Catholics by putting stuff in numbers of seven. This I think is that's fair because you go, oh, it's seven. Play. It can't be. Yeah, <laughs> it can't be a demon. Um, so Donna and Angie decided the first medium they contacted may have been wrong about the spirit. So they decided to seek uh, even more expert, real expert advice. I was about and to say you put real expert advice. Well, well which... no, because they contacted an Episcopal priest first. Ah, the real expert. Yes. Capital R. So uh, his name was Fa- Father Hegan. Father Hegan felt well, it was a not spiritual his name, matter. Adam. <laughs> yes. His, his first name isn't Father. His name isn't Father Father Hegan. You don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I Yeah, uh, that's fair. He felt it was a spiritual matter and felt he needed to contact a higher authority in the church. So he contacted God. Uh, Father Father oh, Cook, okay. who was above him. Uh, and, and Father Cook was a personal friend of the Warrens. So ah. that's who uh, Father Cook went to next. That's how the Warrens got involved. So. Uh, they almost immediately determined that the doll itself was not possessed, but was being manipulated by an inhuman presence because they believed that spirits could not possess inanimate objects. They possessed people. Thusly, it was possible the spirit was looking for a human host and manipulating the doll in order to do that. And probably was is really confused. This is an old demon, not around for dolls. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he goes, little human, I'll possess that little human. And then he gets inside a doll oh, and he's man. like, what is this? There's it's only um, hay in here. Yeah, so so he uh, the Warrens the, the Warrens allege that probably not hay. <laughs> I, I assume it's hay. I assume it comes as an empty sack and you must fill it with your own hay. That's what sort I sort of imagine. a build a bear situation. Yeah. Um no, it's nothing uh, like build a bear. Adam <laughs> at Build a Bear, they pay a person minimum wage to shove a large tube up their ass, and that's how they fill it with. That's not what you do to Raggedy Ann. You go to the the horse barn that you have outside. You get uh-huh. hay and you stuff the Raggedy Ann doll yourself with your own two hands, yeah. the way God intended. 
<laughs> so uh, the the Warrens said that uh, the spirit was posing as a young girl named Annabelle in order to gain the girl's trust. So they had just lied to the, the original medium. I have a problem with this concept. Yeah. It comes up okay. in the new Star Wars movies, too. Why, if you are attempting to gain the trust of two human women, would you turn to a doll for children? Why is that your idea of a persuasive body to possess? Okay, Why? but what are the other options? I, a dog? Uh, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Is that a grown mannequin woman? Catholics don't believe that uh, that that animals have spirits like humans do. So I don't think that the it could possess a dog. But don't they also not believe? Okay, wait. But don't <laughs> they believe that spirits can't possess? This is all falling apart. These. But a dog's not okay. Okay, a dog no, is no, no. not an animate object. An animate object can't possess. But yes. ghosts, but like ghosts can. So a young girl named Annabelle could, if she was a young girl named Annabelle. If she was really a young girl named Annabelle, I guess. Well, they said in general that spirits, the Warrens believe in general that spirits cannot possess inanimate objects. So I believe ghosts could not either. Okay. So it's just kind of moving it around. Right. Manipulated, yes. I guess it says. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just saying I, maybe you could become like a like her alarm clock. And you like talk to her through different radio voices like Bumblebee and the Transformers. I'm just saying a small doll that looks like a small girl is not a good choice. The same way that Palpatine made a little naked mole rat man to to befriend a young boy. He was like, ah, yes, this young boy, I need to make a friend for him. Let me make this disgusting mole rat person. And he's like, ah, yes, kiddo, be my friend. <laughs> That's what you're doing I with guess. Annabelle. Yeah. Um, so according to Nesper's case file on Annabelle, quote, insofar as a demon is a negative spirit, it, it then set about causing patently negative phenomena to occur. It aroused fear through the weird movements of the doll. It brought about the materialization of disturbing handwritten notes, the symbolic drops of blood on the doll. And ultimately, it even attacked Lou, leaving behind the symbolic mark of the beast, which I thought beast was six. But what do I know, evidently? Well, so... The idea that 666 is the number of the beast is uh, a mistranslation of the original Hebrew and the actual number is 616. Oh. And I think the mark of the beast is different. I think the mark of the beast is like a separate thing okay. from the 666. I think 666 mm -hmm. is the number. But yeah. wait, patently negative is how I would have described every day of school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Devin, welcome back from seventh grade. How did it go? How is today? Patently negative. Yeah. Patently copyright. negative. Mother, send a cup of tea up to my room. And I <laughs> copyrightably, copyrightably bad. <laughs> um, so, quote, Legally the next stage. ownership, not so good. Yeah. Quote, the next stage of the infestation phenomena would have been complete human possession. Had these experiences lasted another two or three more weeks, the spirit could have completely possessed, if not harmed or killed, one or all of the occupants in the house. So they were demonic possession, as we talked about in the exorcism episode, kind of happens in stages. Um, yeah. And they were pretty much almost at the end. Um, 
So the Warrens deemed it necessary to have Father Cook come in and perform an Episcopal blessing on the home. Now, an Episcopal blessing is kind of like an exorcism, but instead of focusing on casting the negative energy out, it's more focused on filling the home with positive energy. Thusly, there is no more room for the negative energy to be there. Uh, Hey, hey. It's nice, right? That's nice. I like Um, that. We should do that. That's That's pagan. That's why you burn sage and sandalwood is like you want to fill it with good vibes to get the bad ones out yeah so father cook was hesitant but he performed the blessing and the warrens agreed to remove the doll from the house uh they put the doll in the back seat and began to drive home after the blessing was finished opting not to take the interstate as ed was worried about possible car failures because of the doll but as they began to drive their car stalled the brakes started to fail repeatedly verging on collision and after dousing the doll with holy water and the sign of the cross the disturbances stopped and they were able to reach home safely uh, i i love ed warren yeah going not that exit and like another person like swerving off and going why and he's like she can on the interstate she'll be too powerful yeah so after the warrens arrived home ed set the doll in a chair next to his desk the doll levitated a number of times uh in the first couple of weeks that's how it Uh, showed that it liked the chair it was the goldilocks chair if it floats you're good if it starts to like bleed from the eyes you know that's a bad chair find a new one and uh, during the ensuing weeks, however, it began to show up in various rooms of the house. Uh, when the Warrens were away and had the doll locked up in the outer office building, they would off- often return to find it comfortably upstairs in Ed's easy chair, which I got right from their website. I don't know what an easy chair is. It's supposed uh, to be like, I'm, I'm sure it's like a lazy boy. But yeah. An easy chair. What uh, is- when they open. <laughs> when I- they. <laughs> Why is she in the office? I. Like. Coming home to discover your haunted doll. This is why I understand people who have haunted dolls at home and just, like, live with them. Because the Mm. idea of coming home to basically a pet that you don't have to feed, sitting in, like, a different chair must be such a novel experience. Yeah. You're just like, aw, Annabelle, nice chair. (laughs) Um, The doll also showed a hatred for any clergyman who came to visit the house. That's a natural. That's that's just suspicion. (laughs) At one point, it seemed to cause another car accident for a visiting clergyman, Father Jason Bradford, after Father Jason told it that it was just a doll and couldn't hurt anybody. Can't do that. Uh, Father Father Jason got into a car accident on the way home. He was okay, but uh, his car was totaled. Uh, And the Warrens had a special case built for Annabelle inside the Warren Occult Museum, where she resides to this day and or is in the case in some other building or warehouse or whatever. Demons are one person mafias you talk a little bit of crap you're swerving off the road you won't die yeah oh no you won't die but you'll be scared shitless yeah but we put the fear um, of god into you so uh the interest the very interesting thing about the annabelle story is that although we have an extremely detailed account of what happened all of those details are from Ed and Lorraine, and they are really only author- the only authority on this, along with Nesper. Right. Uh, there's no other firsthand accounts uh, other than Nesper's records. Not that Nesper, I'm calling Nesper untrustworthy or anything, but the real Donna, Angie, and Lou have not stepped forward if they are still alive. Yeah. The, um, the thing There about- is a photo of Lorraine removing the doll from the house. I think that's what it of what yeah. it is of. 
the the thing about a story with that many details that relies on two people's first-hand accounts is that when stuff that is crazy happens, people aren't good at remembering details. So having more <laughs> details in a story like this, even if it is true, can often pretend to its like ability to distrust it. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, this is what you would write if you were a charlatan, which is yeah. like... And obviously Annabelle became the subject of 2014's Annabelle, a prequel to The Conjuring. Although I think in real life, The Conjuring case, the house case, predates the Annabelle case. I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, And subsequently, Annabelle creation and Annabelle comes home. There's sort of a Conjuring Warren's extended universe of all these like the nun and Annabelle and the Conjuring demon and blah, 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 blah. Um, In the the movie, she is a demon, the sequel. In the movie, she is a porcelain doll instead of a Raggedy Ann doll because of a Correct. trademark issue. They didn't want to trademark Raggedy Ann for the movie, and I'm sure Raggedy yeah. Ann wouldn't have given them that anyway. Uh, and see, better. I think the porcelain yeah, the porcelain doll is much scarier anyway. Yeah, there is a power, and everybody knows it, there's a power in uh, outward fragility belying inner power, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. so sick, the idea of a porcelain doll being insanely powerful because it's porcelain. Yeah. Porcelain yeah. is fragile. Uh, that and it's, it's, it's a- <laughs> that porcelain is fragile, but doll is powerful. What makes it powerful is not the fact that it is porcelain, <laughs> it's a but doll. the fact that it is a doll. Um, so that is Annabelle, and I would like to get into the Warrens' cases, perhaps their lesser-known cases if there are enough records on them, um, a little bit more. Uh, what, what's your take on the Annabelle case, Devin? I think that Ed uh, and Lorraine Warren are both just like, fun people to think and talk about i think like their place Mm -hmm. as cultural like stories and characters are freaking fascinating i don't really care if annabelle is fake the fact that Uh these people were creative enough to come up with that story if it wasn't real is Mm -hmm. i think a note in their favor even if they you know think it's real that's fine i guess um yeah yeah and hey like Annabelle in, has been in the studio the whole time. I, I established yeah. that at the beginning of the episode. And she's been happy the whole time. She floated a few times in the chair. She yeah. said, yeah, I like this chair. I like this show. No <laughs> bleeding from the eyes. No showing up in other rooms. So I, I think that we've, we've quenched her thirst. I think we've done it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode 86 of The Great American Scream. 86, baby. If you enjoyed, please leave a great review on iTunes or on Spotify. And tell a friend about the show because it's the best way to spread the word. Adam, can you give our social medias, please? Yes, you can check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream or much more frequently on Twitter and Instagram at Great Scream Pod. Um, if you would like to, us to cover any of the other Warrens, any of the Warrens other cases, please tweet it at us. Uh, you can post or tweet using a hashtag TGAS. Uh, and as always, if there's something you would like to hear about on the show, tweet at us or make a post because your suggestion may become a topic for a future episode. Yes, special thank you goes out to Michael Segura, who does the intro disclaimer, as well as DV Viola, who does the intro and outro music. And a super special thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash greatscreenpod on the tier of Man in the Fields or higher. Thank you to Regina, Ben, Gail, Joyce, Melinda, and Chris. I have been Devin Wright. I have been Adam O'Connell. Hopefully you have been spooked. And this has been Annabelle. And this at Annabelle. Great. <laughs>